Amen. Let's turn our Bibles today. Oh, yeah, give yourself a good round of applause. Hallelujah. Thank God for people that care. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 12 through 21. And I'll tell you the title after I read this passage of Scripture. Starting in verse 12, and it says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it met, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you into remembrance, knowing that shortly... I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye be, may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunning devises, devised fables when we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. Now when we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you would do well that you would take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I want to talk to you today about what is the Word of God. What is this book? A Bible. Bible is a Greek word which simply means a conglomeration of stories and of facts that unveil a truth. We call it the Bible. Some of us call it a coffee cup holder. Some of us use it as a backseat passenger in our car. But I want to talk to you about what the Word of God is. Because today, the Bible, the Word of God, has become a common manufacturable merchandising instrument. Every week there's something new coming out. Every week there's a new translation. Every week this and that. And every week people are running and scrambling and buying. And I buy Bibles all the time. I love them. If they made a woman Bible, I'd praise God. If Phyllis went to heaven, I'd marry one. Hallelujah. I love Bibles. But I love more so what is in the Bible than I do the Bible itself. But every week there are new as they would say, discoveries to make people want something more palatable, something easier to understand, and something more easily fitting their life. 
There are Bibles out there now that have done away with the virgin birth, Bibles that have done away with the blood, the power of the cross, Bibles that have done away with the uh, deity of Jesus Christ, the Bible that has done away with even the establishment of male and female. You know, the Bible is ahead of the times of our government. Hallelujah. Right. Okay. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, and you can shout hallelujah and, and amen. If people don't like it in front of you, just say, you'll get over it. There'll come a time for your life. Now, and so we understand that there are all types of Bibles coming out. And, you know, we could probably be in a great quandary of which is right and which is wrong. I mean, we all have them to fit. You know, now we have them, the hunter's Bible. Now we have the fisherman's Bible, the military Bible, the policeman's Bible, the dead man's Bible. The woman's Bible. The student's Bible. And the list goes on and on and on. It is so merchandisable. People get confused trying to buy just a Bible. The other day I went in and said, look, I'm trying to replace this Bible because I've had Bibles I've had for years and years. And when someone in our church goes to a military or goes into the military and moves, I give them one of my personal Bibles and I sign it and I hand it to them. I say, now look, bring this back. It's tore up and broken up for a reason. It belongs to me. Okay, pastor. They lie. They get married and stay wherever they are. My Bible's there. And so I was in the bookstore the other day, and I said, I'm looking for a New Testament Bible with Psalms and Proverbs. I wanted leather, and I wanted size uh, 5 by uh, 7 and a half or 8 and a half. And they said, sorry, we can't get it. They go through their computer. They go through all their fish things and all that. No, we can't get it for you. I said, okay. Why? They said, well, they just don't sell. Nobody wants them. Oh, okay. All right. So I have to rely on my old beat-up ones. And if you're watching today, send them back to me. Now, I want to talk to you about what the Word of God is. The Word of God, the written Word of God that we have, that we hold in 1 John 1, 1 and 2 says this, that we have handled it with our hands. This is the Word of life. This is something inspired by God, not by man inspired by God. It was not made up of man, nor does it have its origin in man. It is a book about God himself. It contains God, as it were, for our life. Without it, we would not believe. And you are a byproduct of whatever you believe. You can, if you believe and heard this or that, you're going to be what you believe. But the problem is, we aren't supposed to be what we've heard and what we have repetitively been browbeaten into and heard stories about and all that. We are to be what the Bible tells us to be. Amen? This is who we are to become an Im imitator of. Amen? And then it says this, And that voice came from heaven. There was a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son. And so he speaks, and the, the disciples, after that encounter, come back, and they write, and they are touched and inspired of God. And Peter writes something almost mind-boggling, that the scriptures right here that are in this Bible are more absolute, more unshakable, 
more trustworthy, more reliable than any voice. And voices come in dreams. Voices come in uh, visions. And voices come in thought and sound. This Bible right here trumps all of them. Did you hear me? Nothing is to be taken at face value. But the internet said, <laughs> the internet, go back to its beginning. It's not the word of God. That is Looneyville. You understand, internet, you can say anything and be required to establish and verify nothing. Yet, on any weekly basis, just from my perspective, I'm judged by some statement, by a blog, by this or by that. It used to be CDs, but now it's podcasts. You know, you don't know those people, but you take their word over anything that you've preached and saw live. You have no right because the Bible says you have to know them that labor among you. You cannot listen to people that you don't even know exist. You know, I had a couple years ago, and they, they were a great couple. Man, they come to church, they got saved. He was a principal in the school, and she was a school teacher. What great people. And uh, I was preaching on hell. She come and she said, Pastor, I just, I, I, I'm so scared. I said, why? She said, my family's not saved. And we told them about Jesus, and they said, they don't want anything to do with it. I, I just can't stand the thought of them going to hell. I said, well, let's begin to pray. And, well, she must have prayed from the time that she left my office to the time that she come back three weeks later and said, Pastor, I don't believe in hell anymore. I said, oh, okay, oh, why? She said, because I found a teaching on the internet that hell does not exist. And it gave me such confidence and peace about my family. So they said, we have to leave the church because we just cannot listen to people going to hell. And I said, oh, okay. About three years later, they wrote me this great, big, beautiful letter. We have been fools. And they apologize. Because they said that the things that you instilled us invoked us to check the Bible. And we did not find any place that hell had been extinguished and taken away. Now that was great, but for... But the thing of it is they lost three years of testifying and praying for their loved ones. Hopefully nobody died in that time frame. What I want you to realize is that no voice, even internet, blog, nothing is more powerful nor unshakable or trustworthy or filled with faith than this book right here. This is called the Bible. It is God's reflection of himself to man and man's reflection of himself in the eyes of God. So Peter tells us that there is something far more powerful than a voice from heaven. And there is something more powerful than people trying to take a scripture and say, this is what it means to me, but it can't mean that to anybody else. No, what it means to one, it must mean to everybody. 
That is the cardinal law and rule that Peter lies out here. Could have given amen. In fact, we, because we believe that this is the infallible, unchangeable absoluteness of God's word, we are forbidden to ever take it out of a content where it only applies to us and not to them. Amen. God's not a respect of persons, neither are we. Now, this is an eternal word. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.25 that the word of the Lord endureth forever. Somebody say forever. All right. Now, we realize that there are going to be many books that come out and say this is the way and that is the way. But Paul warned us in Galatians 1, 11 down through 13, that if anybody, no matter if it's an angel or anything else, comes and gives another voice to appropriate or to preach or declare or to define another gospel, let them be accursed. They are the enemies of God. Yet in our society today, there are beliefs in the kingdom of God that everybody is equal. That, well, the Buddhists are trying to get to where we're going. No, they're trying to make it to reincarnation. They're not trying to make it to heaven. Well, well but the Hindus want. The Hindus are seeking a higher enlightenment. They're not seeking heaven. And it doesn't matter what they're seeking. They can't do it by another gospel. That doesn't mean that we're hateful. It doesn't mean that God hates them. Stop that type of just foolish rhetoric. It's just not true. God loves people, but he is opposed to evil and to deception, and all other gospels are that. Amen. And it doesn't matter where we come from or who we are, this gospel is for every man, every gender, every color, every nationality, every geographical de uh, demographic. This Bible is for all men and it meets the requirements of God for every man to be saved. Amen. Amen. Now I'm not telling you that there are not nice people in other religions. I'd, listen, they are. Some of the nicest people I've met have, have belonged to the weirdest cults in the world. And they're nice people. But deceived people, not being nice doesn't mean that deception is accepted. You know, Christianity has been defined as a hateful religion. It's not hateful. It's filled with love. And if you think because we're crying out, that is wrong. That we hate you? No. It takes more courage to declare that you're going the wrong way than it is just to let somebody in the path of destruction continue it to an end. Amen. Well, but my brother is this and my sister is this. I know mine are all sinners too. But I'm not against them. But I will not condone them. And I cannot condone them if I am sold out to believing that this is the inspired word of our God. I'm not against any religion, but I sure am for Jesus. Amen. Now, it is the word that has been spoken by God to holy men. It is the only place of unquestionable, absolute truth 
meaning that it's perfect and it's pure. It is constantly dependable no matter where you go, no matter what you face, this Bible does not change God's stand towards you or for you. It is the only source of eternal life. The only source of eternal life. It means that what it says, it means, and what it means, it says. Jesus made these statements. You don't have to be a wizard, you just have to be like a child. Be like a child. Now I'm sure this is not very popular by all those that are viewing by live streaming or that are ever going to run over this podcast. But please, friend, I'm not against you. I'm just telling you that God is for you. And I would be less than what God called me to be if I accepted your blindness as a way for your life. I don't believe that that's what God wants. God sent his only begotten son. And he gave his life to prove his love. Buddha did not. Neither did Hare Krishna, neither did uh, Mohammed, neither did uh, uh, Joseph Smith. Nobody gave their life but Jesus. And nobody has a right to say they love you without giving their life. No Christian is to declare their love for someone and not give their life. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. It is never to be replaced by another voice. In verses 18 through 20. These are and will end up being another gospel. Galatians 1, 6 through 10 tells us other gospels are going to come in. They're going to come in by demonic powers and by deception of angelic beings. We are living in a very precarious time where the doctrines of devils are rising up. One of the doctrines of devils is that there are alternatives to God's voice. And if, let me say this, if you think that an alternative is true, then take the alternative that you're condoning another person's, another person's life, and you live it. You won't do that, because you know, in the depth of your knower, that this is right. Again, it it does not allow you to be hateful, to call them names, or anything else. It means that we are bound to allow this Word of God to dictate our life, our decisions, our voices, and our purposes. That's what it means. All right. So, let's go to Colossians 2.8. Yes, I know, folks. I know. You're waiting. All right. People out there are waiting. It's coming. I know now you're wondering what they're waiting for, aren't you? A shout is coming when I say, thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. All right, now, look at this. Colossians 2.8 says this, beware. Somebody say, beware. Why would you have to beware of something if it was so open? Could it be that it may come like an angel of light? 
that Satan himself would portray himself as being God? And it says this, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Philosophy is just a, an opinion that comes up by men and women that pursue wisdom and come up with a decisive uh, opinion about life, death, God, hell, heaven, whatever. And philosophers are the ones that teach in our colleges. And they teach their opinions. They teach no absolutes. They don't teach any great discoveries. They just teach purpose definable by their intellect opinions. And then it tells us through vain deceit. In, the, in other words, it tells us that men will cheat and beguile us and lead us astray. In fact, we become so disillusioned that we just follow them without question. Now, vain deceit comes from a real unique uh, thing. It comes from the word disillusioned. In other words, lots of times vain deceit that leaves people astray come from people that have encountered a hardship and have not been able to overcome it. Now, I'm going to say, no, I won't say a name. I won't, I won't, I won't. There was a man that Eric and I knew. He had churches all over Europe and Eastern Europe and into the communist countries. And these churches ran thousands, and I mean thousands and thousands and thousands. Well, one day he had something happen in his family to his wife. It was an illness, and she could not really recover from that. So he became disillusioned with the gospel that he had preached. Then he denounced his state and went back into Catholicism. And today, all of those churches, or the majority of them, have fell in decay. That's the type of delusion that people that deceive other people with vain deceit. Most disillusioned people would not say they don't believe the Word of God, but what's happened is they have missed the fullness of the intent of the Scripture. By His stripes she were healed. So their loved one dies, they get disillusioned, and they begin to deceive others by their hurt, disillusioned state. Don't ever let your sickness and your offense fester. Could again, amen. Yeah, thank you. Hallelujah. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for this great message. And uh, so it talks to us about this. Let's go to Colossians now 2.18. Colossians 2.18. And, and we're going to go down through 23. Colossians 2.18 says this. Let no man beguile you of your reward in the voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up of his own fleshly mind, 
and ha not holding the head from which the all the body by joints body by joints and bands having nourishment ministereth and knit together increases with the increase of God wherefore if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world why as though living in them are ye subject to the ordinances touch not taste not handle not which all are to perish with the using after the commandment and doctrines of men which things ye have indeed a show of wisdom in well worship and humility and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh what does that all mean that simply means that there are going to be lots of things that people are going to tell you that we ought to do rudiments of the world, the principles of the world, the principles of, of, of the senses. But it tells us this, that there are going to be people that intrude into things that only exist in their human mind. Only exist in their human mind. Now think of that. Think about the Gospels that could come across. Anybody heard of Gene Scott? He's dead. Been dead for years. Anybody, you ever heard? He was one of the great scholars. I mean, he wrote the handbook for the Methodist foundation of their doctrinal belief. He was a theologian. He could write more Greek words and pronounce them than anybody. Well, you know, he got disillusioned. He used to be in Assemblies of God, man. And he got disillusioned one time. And on a television broadcast, he lost it. He started cussing. And he noticed that when he started cussing and talking about things that had nothing to do with the gospel, all kind of money started coming in. So Gene Scott then ended up appearing on his shows drinking beer, ended up smoking cigars, and ended up telling people this. And I, I heard this, hey, I need more money to buy myself a new racehorse. Get on those phones and send in an offering. And people are just flooding and sending him money. You might say, what, what a charlatan. No, I think people were just glad that he was telling the stinking truth about how he felt about people. Now, he was a great, what you would call, scholar. Well, well was he saved, Pastor? Well, I only hope God was gracious in his end. Do I think that what he portrayed was a life of a Christian? No. But do you know that he was watched and other scholars listened to him? And you couldn't poke a hole in his theology. But you could his lifestyle and his talk. And I mean to tell you, he was a genius. He got disillusioned. And he attracted disillusioned people. So we want to make sure that we don't bring things into our life because of the hurts of our life. It's very easy to taint the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me say this to you. God is never your problem. God is not your problem. He's not your family's problem. He's not your financial problem. He's not your joy problem. God's none of those things. God is the answer to every problem. Could have given an amen. Yes, it, yes, absolutely. Now, let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Quickly, I didn't mean to. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4.12. Remember that the word of God 
is just that. It says, for the word of God, stop right there. Just the title of what it is automatically tells you and I that it is beyond the human intellect. It is beyond anything natural and beyond anything that could be created or invented by man. This is a book, the Word of God, means that it comes from God, it is upheld by God, it is valued by God, it reveals God, it has his thoughts, his motives, his character, his life, his nature is in his Word. And so when it says the Word of God, let you and I stop right there. In other words, it cannot be scrutinized by the human intellect and reason. People say, oh, oh, the Bible's got contradictions in it. No. Take another drink of what you're drinking and read it again. No, the Bible doesn't contradict that. Oh, but I found them. What you found is a statement that God made, but you have never plundered the depth of what he said. And there's a great difference, folks. Amen? How many of you, uh, Phyllis and I do that. I do this with Phyllis sometimes. She'd she be saying stuff and it seems like she just rambles on and on and on. And finally I'll just say, look, do you want to fight? No, 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 I don't want to fight. Why? I say, because you sound like you're agitated with me. You sound like that you're frustrated with me. And I said, I know you're like that all the time, so what is the difference? Just because you hear a statement, that's why the Bible says this, only a fool believes one side of a story. You you can't take a statement at face value till you have plunged into the person that made the statement. Amen? Amen? All right, thank you. Gosh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Phyllis will be going up the road after service today, and she's going to have to be saying, praise the Lord, honey, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. She'll have to be getting me back on track. All right, now, notice what it says. The Word of God is what? Quick. Somebody know what quick is? It's life-giving. It's life-giving. Every Word of God is filled with life. Filled with life. There is nothing dead about anything that God said. Everything produces after its own kind. God is a life-giving God. If you will respond to his word, you obtain eternal life. A perpetual motion that takes you through this life and takes you on into eternity endless. That is what that word quick means. It means that it's filled with life. Amen. But, 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 I'm supposed to die daily. Yes. That's what the Bible says. Yes, absolutely. Why? So you can live. God's not trying to penalize you. What he's trying to say is this. Deuteronomy 8, 1, the commandments that I give you, I give you so that you may live. God doesn't tell the fornicator, Don't enjoy yourself. No, he tells the fornicator, don't let death rule you. Live and say no. 
to the drunkard. He's not saying, I, I, I don't want you ever to enjoy a, a swallow of liquor. That's not the point. He said, don't get drunk because it'll destroy the fiber of your soul and addict you for life. I want you to live. Don't drink. What, why do we always think God, there's nothing negative about God. So when God says, don't do this, He's really telling you, don't let death reign. Live! Live! That's what He's telling us. The commandments of God never, ever imprison or bound people. What He does is tell you, stay free! Stay free! Live! Don't do that which produces death. People say, well, the Bible is filled with do's and don'ts. No, it's filled with warnings. Don't let death rule you. Live. That's what it's filled with. Why do we always think that God is so negative to us? He's not. Does he reprove us? Yes. Does he rebuke us? Yes. Does he chastise us? Yes. What's he trying to do? Deliver you from death. Because everything about God is life. This is called the word of life. Hallelujah. Go, let's go back to our verse. And it says this, quick and powerful. Wow. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God reveals the nature of God. He is a God of life, love, redemption, wholeness, peace, joy. That's who God is. But it also reveals to us the nature of man. It reveals to us the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It establishes what medical science says does not exist or has no evidence that it exists. I'm sure that there are scientists and doctors that believe in the soul. They have not been able to picture it. They have not been able to capsulate it. But the Bible tells us we are a spirit and we have a soul and we live in a body. So God defines who we are and what we are. It also defines our state before salvation. Let's go to Romans, the third chapter, and we'll look at, I think it's about verse 8 or 9. Romans. You ever notice that there is a, no other Gospels that we talk about that we would uh, allude to being mainstream, Buddhist, Hinduism, uh, Islam and so forth that ever reveals the condition of man. Romans, the third chapter in verse 9. This is how God says man is. And it says, what then? Are we better than they? No, and no why. For we have proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. 
and that it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, and there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is like an open scepter. Their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of an asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and in the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. And every mouth may be stopped, that every mouth may be stopped, and all of the world may become guilty before God. But that's negative. No, it's not. There is no need to repent if one has not transgressed. And man does not know that he has transgressed except God reveals it to him. And it says, therefore, by their deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God is without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, it tells us that the scripture is the only place that man can truly identify himself. Every other gospel is deceptive towards man. Every other gospel. Say, well, you're preaching against the other gospel. No, I'm not preaching against the other gospel. I'm preaching for the word of God. Come on, I'm just telling you that if God is right, then somebody has to be wrong. If he's light, there has to be darkness. If he's good, there has to be evil. All right. And then it says this. And so it reveals to us who we are before we come to Christ and who we are after we come to Christ. It unveils to us the twofold nature of man. And then it tells us in this scripture, let's go back to uh, Hebrews 4.12, said the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There you go. Even piercing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In fact, the word reveals to us the thoughts and the intents of every motive and every word. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, I want to say this, but this is just between you and I. What is their intent? Somewhere deception or manipulation. Phil's to say, honey, just between us, I'd say, it can't be. I said, God's here and the devil's here, but go ahead. But see, we never even learned that. We never accepted the fact that God's word is true. It's quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every thought, every thought every thought. And it says joint and marrow. In other words, the life is in the blood which is produced by the marrow, but the joint, the joint is the movement of the physical body. You know that every movement that we make is judged by the life behind the movement. 
And so many times we are moving and it's not the life of God. Hallelujah. And then it says this. It is the, the gospel that we are looking at here brings out all and reveals all intents of the root of every man. Wow. Isn't that something? Now, what is the word of God? Does anybody know what a word does? A word, I looked it up today. I even used a dictionary. A word defines something beyond or this word, the word of God, defines it as something beyond our natural humanistic means. When it talks about the word of God, it talks about naming something. A name is something that defines something's action, character, and quality. Like Phyllis is my wife. What's her nature? She's married to me. What's her character? She's faithful. We could go on, but why? Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, it establishes that it comes from God and not from man. The highest authority above all other powers, above angels, above every other thing that is or will be or has passed away. It is the highest authority over every other self-proclaimed deity for he alone is God and there is none besides him. Now, the answer of all of those things that we looked at here, we have to realize that if God is and it breaks our life down, then you and I can find out what really is motivating us and really what is pushing us and really what motivates us. Have you ever wondered such things? I have. I have. I've wondered, God, why doesn't this work? Why, God, did I not do this? God, why did I get agitated at this person? I know some of you probably never do, but used to be in the day and this went on for years in my life that somebody could mention a person's name and I would become agitated. And I wondered one day, where does this hate come from? Where, where, what did the guy do? He's a human being and he's having a demonic effect on me. I speak evil of him. I say I'm really not talking about him, but I am filling my words with poisoned arrows with a motive that is not born of God. And so I, I started looking. Let's go to Luke 5.1. Let's go to Luke 5.1. And this is what I begin to do. Because let me tell you this. Hate is becoming a way of life in America. Accepted hate is becoming a way of life in the church. You know, I used to pastor a great church 
at Only Believe Ministries, and it was in Botkins. And there used to be people you couldn't hardly ever preach because they'd be shouting and screaming. And, uh, but, you know, I retired, and praise God, I, I now preach at the old folks' home. They're all zoned out on Prozac, and, you know, uh, they all have to wear diapers, and they're afraid to move because they might have a disaster happen. And, uh, you know, praise God, they're just waiting for the free meal wagon to come down the hallway. Come on, hallelujah. All right, and it says this. And it came to pass as the people pressed, pressed, pressed. They put pressure upon him. There was an urgency laid upon them. They came, just like you and I are here today, they came with issues. They came with pains, with brokenness, offenses, sickness, destroyed finances. And all they wanted to do was this. Hear the word of God. Why? Why did these broken, sick, needy, desperate people press Jesus? Speak the word to us. Because they realized that the gospel was a language of life. And they knew that if they could hear, that they, just like Psalm 107.20 says, God sent his word, where? To the mouth of his prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, so forth. He sent it to their mouth that when they preached it, it would bring healing and would deliver them from all of their destruction. Look, when we run into these things, pain, I hate to tell you, is just a fact of life. Hurt, if you know more than your, any people, more than yourself, you're going to run straight face smack dab into it. Can't get around it. Because someday, people's not going to see like you see, so then you become their enemy. It, it, it's, ju it's just, it, it, it's so childish. It, it's just, it just is. It just is. I was thrown out of my wife's brother's house because I said this. Well, you know, God never did that to you. Him, his old, her oldest brother, and the next brother pushed me and threatened me to the door, out on the porch, down the sidewalk, said, don't ever come back into this house again. Why? Because I believed that God was a healer. Now, it's not always that extreme. Sometimes it's... You know, I don't think women should preach. Oh, my God, I'm the idiot. Which I do believe they should preach. I mean, they preach and talk anyway, whether we like it or not. Amen. They just have at it. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, but I'm just telling you that simple things like that. Now, we're going to run into that stuff. You're going to run into financial need. All the time, you're going to run into it. You're going to run into things that you can't handle. But the problem is Christians, 
that believe the word of God has been sent to heal us and deliver us from how many? All of their destruction. God says, I sent forth my word and if you will believe it, you will live. Now, every time we run into these things, we are just like these people. I remember the story where it said, these people have been with me three days. We need to feed them. At least we send them away and they faint. Think about the people that followed him two and a half days. Two days and 23 hours. Two days, 23 hours and 59 minutes and 47 seconds. The people that just turned away and got beyond earshot of feed them. All those people went home the same way they come. Jews, people of the covenant, people that Jesus came to heal and he was sent to, turned and walked away. Because they simply wouldn't say, I have to hear. I have to hear. I have to hear. Go to the Word of God. He is speaking 24 hours a day. He never sleeps, never slumbers, doesn't doze off, doesn't do any of those things. What does God do? He's speaking, and we need to hear. Why? Because He'll heal financial woes. He'll deliver us from financial woes. He'll heal us from pains and hurts. He'll restore us. He'll help us. He'll lift us up. But it's not within the power of man to do it. Now, I thank God for medical science. Listen, I don't know that I'd be alive without it. But I will tell you this, that God is the source of all healing. And God is the source of all deliverance and peace. And all we have to do is just hear. Just press. Press in. See what Jesus is saying. And then just listen to it. Oh, but I have to just listen to it. They just press to hear Jesus. Let's not hear 15 remedies. You know, Phyllis's mom had one remedy. Lamp oil. And what other was that? Kerosene and what else? And Vicks or Vaseline or something. She, I don't know. Kerosene. She put on you. This will heal you. She put on you. <laughs> Feeling better already? I go, well, I'm burning up. She burned the skin. You want to know what to do with old tattoos? Put kerosene on them. Hallelujah. I used to have hair on my chest. I ain't got none. All the roots are gone. Listen. She had a remedy. Some remedies worked, some remedies didn't. You know, I had a ward on my finger, and her dad said, go get me a potato and a penny, Pete. I said, what? He rubbed the penny on it, put the potato on it, put it in a handkerchief or a, a wood dishcloth, went out and buried it, and he said, it'll be gone. Three days later, it disappeared. Well, he was a witch. I don't know if he was a witch, but I know that potato and that penny worked. I don't think he was a witch. I think he was an old wise tale, but it worked for me. So let you and I just go to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. 
I want you to stand to your feet. Turn, that, turn the cameras on. I just want you to shout hallelujah. hallelujah. I told you it was coming, praise God. I want to thank you for all being here today. Praise the Lord. Let's raise our hands up towards heaven. The word of God has been given unto us. It reveals our place in Christ Jesus. It reveals unto us that God is in love with us, that he sent his only begotten son. It reveals to us that God's ears are open unto our cries. It reveals to us, don't be hopeless. All things are possible. It reveals to us there is nothing too hard for God. It reveals to us that in the hearing of the Bible, the Word of God, there is life that will break free through and heal and deliver you wherever you are. I don't know how long. I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's beyond my mind. But I do know that I believe in God Almighty. And I believe that His Word is more powerful than any adversary. Jesus came in confrontation with devils and He, he preached to them by the Word of God and cast them out and broke their thrones of rule in people's lives. That same word is nigh thee. Put it in your mouth. Hear it from the Lord. Let God speak to you about whatever condition you have. Go to the Word. Press, press, press in. Don't just sit idle as Jesus walks by. It's time to throw off that old garment. Time to put on and open your eyes and see that Jesus is real. Not just a figment, not a story, not a sound coming down the road passing you by, but one that has come to your rescue. Just hear. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, hear, hear the word of life. Hear the word of healing. Hear the word of deliverance. Hear, 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 hear what God is saying to you. Hear what God is saying to you in your hurts and pains. Hear what God is saying to you in your rejection from men. Hear what God is saying to you, you that are offended. Hear what God is saying to you. Those that are weary, hear what God is saying. For there is no one greater, no one more desirous, no one more waiting to reach His hand forth and to lift you up into a supernatural way. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Father, I ask you to speak to every heart today. Hallelujah. And Father, I ask you to speak to every sinner, every backslider. Hallelujah. The only remedy for sin is Jesus Christ. Backslider, I don't know why you went back. I don't care. But I do know that the Father's voice 
is saying, come unto me, you that are heavy laden. You that are weary and you that are downcast, come. No question, just come. And I will give you rest. Sinner, Jesus is calling to you. Disillusioned, confused, pulled every direction, afraid almost to believe. Jesus is here. And he says, come to me just the way you are. Receive me. And I'll do a refiner's work on you. And I will cause you to be freed from your sins and your torments. And I will cause you to stand before Father that sees you perfect, unblameable, without reproof. If you're here today, and you're a backslider, if you're here today, and you're a sinner, I'm asking you right now to step out in the aisle where that is near to you. Just get in one aisle and come on down here. I want to pray a prayer with you, and then I want to pray a prayer for you to bless you. But if you're here today, you know that you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're a backslider, come on, step out of your hour wherever you are right now. Hallelujah. Wherever you are. Come on, someone else, wherever you are. Wherever you are. All righty, praise God. Everybody stretch forth your hands. Pray this with me, Charles. Say, Heavenly Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe that you have called me, invited me to come to the cross. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. There's nothing more I could do except to receive you now. So I receive Jesus Christ as my sacrificial lamb. And I receive him as Lord of my life. I commit my life to him as he gave his life for me. From this day forward, I will walk God in the strength of your spirit, in the freedom of Jesus' blood, and the righteousness of my identity. In Jesus' name, amen.